Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Third Place Podcast. It's been a couple months since our last episode, and we hope you've been doing well. Mary and I wanted to share that we will be putting the work of the Third Place on a pause. And while there is some sadness in this announcement, there is also a lot of great things that have been born out of this work, and this is a moment for celebration. The third place is some of our proudest work, and the interviews we've been able to share have inspired our own sense of curiosity and human connectedness. We are thrilled to share today's interview with you, as well as one more episode to share the work of our next chapters, which is all truly exciting and honestly still a part of this work. Today we invite Lonnie Kingston to the third place. Lonnie is a well-known coffee writer and global food industry consultant, and has published best-selling coffee books in the U.S., Finland, Sweden, China, Korea, Thailand, and the U.K. In her work, she has written about the history of what a third place is through the lens of a coffee shop. She has over a decade of experience in every corner of the food industry and every corner of the world, including serving as a barista in London. This interview is a lot of fun and shows how important third places are in our lives. After talking with Lonnie, I would even say that to fully live this human experience is to include finding your own third place. So welcome, Lonnie, to the Third Place Podcast. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Hi, Lonnie. Welcome to the digital third place. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, David and I are so happy to have you here. Um, so the listeners know, we first met with a part of our work in coffee, right? And you do some work with Coffee Fest, which is David's company does exhibits at some of those expos. And so we were talking about education in that space, and then found out in that process that when we were talking about third places, you're like, oh, I've actually invested a good amount of energy into researching and learning about third places. And even writing a book, is that right? Yeah, correct. I actually have written three books on coffee and the, a lot of them are around coffee culture and coffee history. And uh, as coffee houses are such typical examples of third places, it's cropped up a lot in my work. It's it's really fascinating. Um, we certainly have touched on this idea of third place on occasion for our listeners. Um, and so it's been sprinkled throughout the history of our podcast. But I know for us, really, even the origin story of the third place is this idea of, of coffee, owning a coffee roasting business. And our model is mostly supplying uh, to different coffee shops in our region. Almost every single owner that comes to us that wants to open a coffee shop, the reason why they do it is because they want to develop this community space. They want to create a safe place for people to connect. So I, I'd love to hear more just like what your understanding of a third place is as you've gotten to interview and, and really research throughout the whole world. 
Sure. And I mean, it's so interesting. A lot of people I work with in the industry will describe the concept of a third place as what they want to create with their cafe, not knowing anything about the history or the term. Uh, but it has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And, you know, you can go back into many different cultures around the world and find excellent examples of third places. And a lot of them in at least since the 16th century have been surrounded around coffee. So you've got the coffee houses of London, which were very well recorded and documented. We have in Korea and the Arabian Peninsula and in Africa, places all over the world have these, these very interesting different yet similar community meeting spaces that are based around coffee and coffee consumption. And um, I just love the fact that, you know, the third place and the concept of the third place has changed obviously quite a lot over time, but that meeting over a cup of coffee is one thing that's remained consistent. And um, obviously the third places themselves are more of a sort of secular meeting space in between that the home and the work environment. And the thing about coffee is that it was always a way for people to be able to meet on the same page. So regardless of whether you are rich or poor or educated or not educated, if you came from different backgrounds, people were able to come together and meet over a cup of coffee. And that was a socially acceptable thing. So um, I love I love that concept of a third place and bringing that back into neighborhoods and communities in the form of, again, a coffee shop or a coffee house like that we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Were there any other themes outside of beverage or was beverage really one of the main connecting points? Uh, I mean, I think the third place as a concept can, is so applicable to so many different meeting places. My research is definitely very much in, in coffee, but um, one of the examples that comes to mind was in Korea during the war. Um, the coffee house has already become a meeting place for people, but coffee became too expensive. And so coffee was not it was really consumed by people, especially who didn't have a lot of money, but they were still coming to the coffee houses because they created this sense of community. And so they were consuming anything that was not important. So the coffee brings people together, but once you have that space, it's more about the community and the connection than it is about the, the beverage itself. Yeah, I love that it started in that way and then it sort of flowed more into the like consumption of connection or relationship building. And has there been an evolution from from your understanding or your research where we've saw a void or not enough third places to really satisfy those needs? And then is it starting to like reemerge as a result? I mean, so interesting to even think with the pandemic time, but I'm curious if any of that rings true. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember reading an interview with, um, it was Ray Oldenburg, the, the sociologist who coined the term the third place. And he was talking about living in uh, Florida and his new house. Everyone's so separate and connected and there's not a lot of businesses in his neighborhood that people can get together in and um, definitely saw a lack of those community meeting places. And he said that he built a bar in his garage just to have some place to bring people together. And I do think that that is common. You know, you'll, you develop, um, a society around something else and maybe omit those community building spaces. You know, when you're, when you're city planning, you'll have 
okay, we need to make sure everyone has access to food, to water. And, and sometimes those, um, you know, those really important societal things are, are omitted or they are, like you said, throughout the pandemic, there's some sort of external factor that's come in and, and closed those businesses down. And I think that is one of the things that's difficult because a lot of these third places are businesses. They have to, you know, make money to run unless someone's backing them. And so you'll end up in with places and times where people will not have enough third places for sure. But I do think that we do find ways to create a third place, whether we're meeting in a library or, you know, churches are, are another example. But um, I think throughout history, the, the thing with coffee is that it it's always been there. It's always, well, since the 16th century and in Europe and further around the world. But um, yeah, it's always been there and always, even in its current format, it's accessible to people um, in whatever format they want to drink it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious, like when you were talking about Korea and it was during the war, it made me wonder if a war is a trigger for like an increase for the need of third places. It certainly feels like right now we are in a little bit of a societal crisis just in terms of the way that we connect. We're so polarized from one another. And it does feel like many people that are, at least that we're connected to, um, and we're mostly serving the Midwest region of the country, regardless of their own personal political leanings or social convictions, they still see like, but how can I create a space where we can actually talk through these dialogues rather than tweet them or pay attention, whichever uh, our preferred news source is, there's still this underlying theme of we've got to increase um, how we connect with each other. And, and it, it does feel like we're in our own version of a crisis, which is driving some people to start more uh, third places. Definitely. And I think one of the the original intents for the third place is to promote democracy and increase the diverse range of experiences and opinions that you're exposed to. Um, you know, historically, I think one of the things that I love is the story, who knows if it's true, of Isaac Newton dissecting a dolphin in a coffee house in London. And there were <laughs> people who had never been to university, who, um, you know, didn't couldn't read the newspaper and they were all coming together in these spaces and you have Isaac Newton dissecting a dolphin and you have people reading other people's newspapers so that they can get up to date with the daily news and what's going on within their society. And I think, um, you know, historically there were always spaces for people to, to share and to uh, come together and build something together and make sure that everyone was included in the group that they lived in. And I do think that as we become more, um, you know, connected online, one thing that we are losing with these, these third places is that, that human connection. And, you know, you have a lot of coffee houses who have their no laptop rules. So to try and promote that, that culture of connection. But I think as our coffee houses are turning into more working spaces, it is making it a little bit unclear. And we are losing a little bit of that democratic space where you're there to meet and converse with other people. So I'm not sure what the solution is to that, whether, 
you know, maybe the coffee house is just adapting and changing and turning into something else unlike it has ever been. Um, or maybe it's, there's some, some way that we can bring that culture of connection back into the modern coffee house as well. Yeah. Is that where like in London is the idea of a penny university? Is that some of what you were referring to? Cause I had, I've heard that phrase before. I assumed it was related to this idea of third place, but not a hundred percent sure. That's exactly yeah. right. So yeah, there, it was a penny to enter and you could drink as much coffee as you wanted. And so there wasn't this, this barrier to entry that I think a lot of our coffee houses do for price points. Um, mm-hmm. and people, if you had a penny, you could come in, you could spend all day and you could, um, you could learn, you could share, you could do whatever you liked. And so it was just every type of member of society who were coming into these penny universities and sharing and learning. And yeah, I, I think that concept is wonderful. And I think, you know, we have um, these coming together ideas and, um, you know, some of the first insurance brokers ever were in coffee houses. So a lot of modern concepts in our society were, were born from the coming together of people in these coffee houses. And I think that um, bringing that back in somehow is is a wonderful way for people to reconnect and work through problems and issues and develop new things. Yeah, it almost feels like uh, we just have to be that much more intentional about returning to the third place intention because like I even notice a lot of times when I go and emerge into the coffee shop setting it is to work, so therefore the setting up of the laptop and putting on the AirPods is like a, a boundary though, right? So I, it's like it's not actually in service to the third place mentality or or idea uh, because it's more like, oh, I just want to be here. I want to be around the energy of people creating and connecting, but usually the connection is happening on the computer or on the phone, but not with those around me. And I find that interesting and I'm thinking about the ways that I've seen some coffee shops trying to solve for that is by removing Wi-Fi essentially mm-hmm. from the space, which then ends up being more so controversial. But I think that that's one of the the big things that I've seen being practiced out here in Colorado. There's probably half a dozen that I know that do that and they're considered pretty rebellious, but I think my guess would be that it was trying to return back to the intention of the third place and having that organic connection and education and opportunity there. Definitely. But the thing that um, I think about with that is that our workplace is also changing. So because we're a little more alienated in our workplace, we no longer have the connection that we used to there. And so we're kind of letting that bleed a little into our third places and, you know, obviously bringing our work into regions and areas of our lives that they never were before and missing out on that connection of, um, you know, the workplace, you've got to try and find that somewhere else. So I do think that the coffee house has adapted and met a need. Um, I just hope it hasn't lost one of its biggest charms in the process. Yeah. I mean, it makes me talking about the adaptation. I had a meeting with an apartment developer and their architecture of their new um, complex includes home offices because now work is coming into our home and it's, it's not all going away. So it was really fascinating to see also the, the home environment adapting for the work environment uh, too. It, 
this conversation makes me feel like it should be a future coffee fest topic. Like how do you <laughs> incorporate an architecture and uh, be intentional about allowing maybe some safety for work to happen uh, as well as, you know, intentional spaces for the um, community to take place. I'm reminded of like the eighties and going into a restaurant and the hostess stand, do you want smoking or non-smoking? It's like, do you want work or non-work <laughs> sections of the mm. different uh, shops and, and the third that. places? I love that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was just thinking too, it's almost like expanding outside of coffee has been the evolution though, just to beverage. It's been, I, I feel like we're seeing more of that um, breakdown of barriers and opportunity to connect in the happy hour seems. So um, seeing more places where if they can flow from that into an environment that is such that it's like there's still a beverage that is an equalizer of some type, which David and I talk about this a lot, that we just think beverage is disarming and it, um, and that it's connecting and it's uh, that no matter what it is, even if it's water and it's also yeah. something that you can hold that kind of keeps you Well, and Mary, your, your whole world, our world was connected because you, you're a tea expert, you know, and right. so... You, you were helping tea shops develop, all, but still all with this same idea, which is ultimately how you and I connected. Um, but the power of beverage to connect is just, it's like ingrained into the DNA of to be human. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the you you bring up tea and we look at some of the very first examples of, of third places were the tea houses in ancient China. So, you know, mm. that it's definitely... A uniting beverage that doesn't need to be coffee. I think coffee just became um, a key example of it, at least in the 16th century, because the caffeine level was so insanely high that people would arrive in the morning <laughs> and they wouldn't leave until the wee hours of the next morning. And it just kept them going and kept them thinking. And um, I remember I can't remember which country it was in, but there was a quote somewhere where the coffee houses had come to resemble taverns because there were brawls outside and riots and people were essentially getting intoxicated on coffee. And they were yes. using these, these coffee houses in the same way that they would a pub or a bar. So I think all of these different beverages that we consume, you're right. They are, they are the uniting, disarming factor, regardless of what it is. Yeah, I mean, like whenever we do, um, we would do tea ceremonies, just the joke of, of being tea drunk, right? And, <laughs> and really how it does their beverages alter our state in some capacity. And that altered state, I think, can oftentimes open up all of that creativity and open up that conversation. And, uh, and at the same time, it can sometimes be detrimental to, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just, uh, I think I, I'm seeing now that I'm, as we're talking through this, the evolution of the spaces from that it really is how do you expand into a full day in order to meet people, um, or create a third place outside of just those morning hours because the morning hours are and the daytime work hours are a bit more gray right now. Uh, I'm curious, you know, why you were drawn to this work because it's such a unique niche and all these little nuggets of stories that you give. I'm just like fascinated at your fascination too. Uh, I came to it through a very, um, 
obtuse pathway. <laughs> I started out um, as a food writer and I was doing travel food writing and um, I moved to London and I just finished this long series of work um, across the US where I traveled to places like Madison and Wisconsin to write about, you know, the farm to table movements. And I'd studied in university um, to write food history and I was very interested in the anthropology of food and, um, you know, the the why we create these these systems around food and the why that behind recipes changing over time and the migration of foods across the Colombian exchange and since then that have changed uh, culture and you know how everything is so interconnected with the food that we eat and i just got super interested in the history of everything related to food when I first moved to London, I was asked to write um, a book on coffee. And at that point, and this is a secret that I'm now revealing, I didn't even drink coffee at all. <laughs> so I'd, um, I'd never really made it. I'd never, I'd never drunk it. I'd never gotten into it. Um, but my publisher said, well, you've got a year to learn and discover. So I spent quite a lot of time <laughs> um, learning how to be a barista and learning the science and uh, everything behind coffee, whether it's roasting or brewing. Um, and, you know, coming from this background of, of discovering and um, being interested in food history, that was something I always wanted to bring into my coffee writing as well. So while I started out writing about science and brewing techniques and all of the standard uh, entry-level pathways into coffee writing, I slowly started adapting my work into um, more discovery around society and connection and culture. Um, my second book was called London Coffee, and it was very focused on the history of coffee in London back into the 16th century. And my latest book, which is called Spill the Beans is um, more of a global exploration in the same way. So I go back to the very beginnings of coffee consumption. I look at the societies that had it as a part of their, their lives and then trace its travels and journeys around the world and see how it's touched so many different cultures and you know, changed lives and people have changed everything about how they exist based on coffee, whether it's their product the production or the consumption or any other part of it, it's been very, very formative in the way that our society stands today. So that's always just been very interesting to me. Yeah. I love that idea of the human connection. I, ultimately, that's that's why I do the work. Um, it's I, I do enjoy coffee, although my story starts with not enjoying coffee, too. So we have, <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> so we have three people who started out not liking coffee, all talking about coffee. <laughs> Um, and I don't drink coffee. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we have that, but this human connection, not only in the way that we can connect while consuming the beverage, but just the, the connection to the producers, to the farmers, to the growers, to the baristas, to all, all of the things. And ultimately like the work that Mary and I have evolved in, which is loosely related to the podcast is helping coffee shop owners get started and, and being intentional about the space. And I think as um, our work has evolved with the Third Place podcast, it's really now how do we press in more to the like mentality behind it all? Um, you know, I, even a moment ago, we're continuing to talk about the evolution of work, which is including more maybe third places. Um, you know, I was thinking of a an accelerator program that's downtown Cincinnati that has a, a coffee and beer hall. So it's like they, they are intentional about creating that space for the 
innovation, both on the front end of just get, get everything done and, and the caffeine kick all the way to the end of the day where it's like have a little bit of an adult beverage and let your mind kind of free and wander and maybe inspire creativity. So we have a work evolution. We have a home evolution now. And, and now we have this evolution of uh, community building uh, and the mentality of pushing into the different perspectives. And, and that's been so much of the work of the third place. How do you see the evolution of third place taking shape? So we have the physical spaces. There's an evolution there. We have our workspaces. There's an evolution there. It feels like there is this evolution of a mental space and, and the mentality of the idea of a third place where we need to become more present. We need to come in with more curiosity to learn, even if the physical space isn't there. So how do you see society taking and embracing the mental shift of what a third place should be, even in their daily conversations? Hmm. That is a good question. I think, and I always talk about London because I have the most experience there, but um, the first thing that I could think of is, you know, back during the recession, uh, not too far into history, but, um, you know, a lot of the bankers and the, you know, the tech people who are making up London, they used to meet and drink champagne and eat caviar. And they met in these, you know, expensive bars. And all of a sudden, no one had the income to meet in these, you know, very common third places anymore. And um, people started meeting in coffee shops again, and they hadn't been doing that for a while. And there's an economist called uh, Douglas McWilliams who ter- who coined the term flat white economy because people were coming back into coffee shops and they were spending their money even during the recession uh, because it was affordable and they could, they could come in and still meet and make a space for themselves, even though it wasn't something that they had done before or were used to. And it, floated the economy through and allowed the third place to change and adapt with the people. And I think regardless of the resistance, there's always a way that people find to come together. Um, I'm again thinking of Korea where uh, during the Japanese occupation, a lot of these coffee houses were either shut down or they were watched very intently by the police because they were, again, these hubs of democracy and um, radical left-wing movements were spawned out of these places. Um, and, you know, 16th century Turkey, the same thing. They they thought of the coffee houses as, as places that, you know, where rebellions were started. So they hmm. they outlawed them. And I think people have just gone back and forward between different spaces of consumption. Like we t- spoke before about the tavern and, and drinking and happy hour and people are, if the coffee house doesn't work for them, they, they take to drinking. <laughs> they, if they can't get into a bar because there's prohibition, they find underground um, areas where they can meet and play card games. And I think it's, it's a requirement of, um, being a human to, to find these spaces in which to connect with other people outside of, you know, these structured social experiences that you have in the workplace. And I do think that everything that we are working towards, um, when we're building up these new, this new wave of third places, it's, it's going to take some shifting and it's going to take some adaptation. Um, but we, I think the coffee house will remain and I think that it will still stay as a third place. And it may just, like you say, it may just adapt and 
non-smoking smoking area <laughs> could be something that we're looking at. Uh, but I, I do think that it's going to persist. It's made it this far. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautifully said. I love all of those illustrations of everything that um, that if you if we don't have it, we will find it or we will create it. We will make it happen. My last question before we wrap to you is, do you have a favorite story of your own third place experience? Ooh, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have had the great luck to be able to work uh, all over the world. And one um, one contract took me to Singapore for a couple of years. And the Singaporean coffee house is just a thing of beauty. It is, um, so deeply entrenched in the Singaporean culture, which, you know, um, goes back a long time further than when the British came, but they, they took a lot of British, um, tea and coffee and, um, you know, toast and all of those sorts of breakfast ideals because a lot of the Singaporean cooks were working for the British soldiers. And so they took them and they adapted them and they changed them into something that was completely their own. Um, obviously the Hainanese immigrants were a huge part of that. They brought a lot of their coffee and tea culture as well, but it's this beautiful melting pot of diversity of little influences taken from all over the world to create this very, very unique coffee culture. And the, um, the coffee shops there are something that people, people go to every morning. You don't grab a coffee to go often. I, I, it's definitely happening, happening more often now, but the old culture is to go and you sit in these open air coffee houses with the ceiling fans in the, the crazy humidity and the crazy heat at six o'clock in the morning as the sun is coming up and the, the birds start to sing and you drink your coffee and you eat your toast with coconut jam and you chat to people around you. And it very much harks back to those, I, how I feel the old ways of the third place. And it was a routine and ritual that I did every morning when I was in Singapore. And it was definitely one of my favorite parts of the day. And even if I was only there for five minutes, just that, um, waking up with the city, uh, with a group of people surrounding you was, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was just beautiful. And I think that's one of the things I love the most about getting to travel around the world and research coffee culture is that there is these very entrenched cultural ideals around coffee consumption that are so different in every country and coffee means so much to so many different people whether they drink it or not it's the spaces that are around them and everyone everyone has this common denominator but everyone does it a little bit differently mm. you just so took fun. me there i told you it was just <laughs> <laughs> there um imagining it felt like it was a guided meditation for a minute thank yeah. you <laughs> well uh lonnie thank you so much for joining us today and and i mean my work is all third place in coffee and i can't like keep track of all the things that i learned uh in just the last 30 minutes so uh really fun to to keep digging in deeper and learning about the history and and the importance and couldn't agree more that just the, the cultures that this gets to celebrate all with this one common denominator are, are really just uh, a beautiful picture of all of the human experience. And it's super cool to have your 
uh, experiences shared with everybody today. So um, where can our guests find more about you and your work and uh, take their own journey to go a little bit deeper? Sure. So um, my books are available online, Amazon, all of the regular book dealers. Um, you should be able to find them in most bookshops as well. Uh, I have most links to everything on my website, which is lanikingston.com. Um, and yeah, I'm on Instagram. You can find me on there and feel free to ask me any questions or, you know, send me your favorite coffee third places as well. I love to hear other people's stories. But thank you so much for having me on. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting today. Thanks, Lonnie. Be well.